Welcome to Queer Storytime, the podcast. This is a brave space for sharing queer and trans stories of radical affirmation, acceptance, empowerment, and healing. I'm your host, Stevie Ingram. I so look forward to you joining us. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Alrighty, y'all. Queer in three, two, one. Let's go. Hello, everyone. As always, I hope you are feeling vibrant and well. You're listening to episode number one, featuring my dear friend, Matt Ashcroft. Matt is a survivor of so-called conversion therapy, also known as reparative therapy. Given that we're going to be discussing this topic today, it's necessary to provide some context for those of you that are not familiar with conversion therapy practices. It's also important to provide a sensitivity warning, considering the trauma that survivors of these practices actively live with in their daily lives. Conversion therapy practices are a set of practices that use pseudoscientific, pseudo-psychological, and pseudo-spiritual practices that are meant to quote-unquote change a person's gender or sexual orientation away from one that is a queer or transgender identity to one that is of a cisgender heterosexual identity. The root of this practice is really based on the premise that both being cisgender and heterosexual is what is truly ordained by God. The truth is this so-called therapy is deeply harmful and outright abusive to those that experience it. Data within the United States shows that approximately 700,000 people have experienced these practices, 42% of which have attempted suicide or seriously considered it. These numbers are likely a conservative estimate and also do not account for these practices happening in many other countries around the globe. The thing that I want everyone to keep in mind is the fact that every major reputable professional medical and psychological association globally not only recognizes the harm of these practices, they outright reject and fully denounce them as they are not legitimate evidence-informed medical or psychological therapies. In fact, these practices actually cause pathology rather than working to eradicate it. Anyone wishing to better understand the harm done by conversion practices is encouraged to watch the films Boy Erased on Netflix and The Sunday Sessions on Amazon Prime. And of course, listen to today's episode. Alrighty, y'all. I have Matt here, but before I officially introduce him, I want to briefly guide you through some centering breaths and grounding before we get started with today's conversation. 
So if it's safe for you to do so, you can either have a downward cast gaze towards the floor or just gently close your eyes. And as you close the eyes or have your downward cast gaze, bring your awareness to where you feel the breath in the body. Taking a deep inhalation and a slow, deep exhalation. You might gently say in the mind as you inhale and exhale, breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. Bringing your mind and awareness into the present. Allowing yourself to feel each inhalation and each exhalation. And one more deep breath in. And slow, deep breath out. As you're ready, you can slowly begin opening your eyes, bringing your awareness back into your surroundings. So now we're officially going to hear from one of the world's top voices against conversion practices. They're as not I my said, words. <laughs> as I said, <laughs> my friend Matt Ashcroft. So I'm just going to read Matt's bio so you have a little bit more understanding of who he is. Matt is an award-winning social justice advocate and student at the University of Toronto. As a conversion therapy survivor, his advocacy includes confronting gaps in legislation that allow for systemic abuses such as sexual orientation and gender identity change efforts to further marginalize 2S LGBTQIA people in Canada, the United States, and abroad. Matt holds key decision makers such as ex-gay leaders and government officials accountable to ensure the rights and freedoms of 2S LGBTQIA people are protected from discrimination and pathologizing of our experiences. Matt's advocacy has been featured in media, including but not limited to CTV, W5, CBC, NPR, and speaking engagements including being a key informant on conversion therapy by speaking on panels with legal firms, Norton Ross Fulbright, Thomson Reuters, as well as with Community-Based Research Center, CBRC. Along with other survivors with whom Matt has connected, he has been a key founder of CT Survivors, Conversion Therapy Survivors, a nonprofit organization that amplifies the voices of those who have experienced conversion therapy and provides a peer support group to increase the mental health of victims. Matt's goals include ensuring the meaningful and valid legislative protections from conversion therapy are written into law for 2S LGBTQIA people of all ages, that racial equity is emphasized in the 2S LGBTQIA liberation movement, and that voices of marginalized communities are amplified. I'd also like to add that Matt was an active advocate and accomplice 
for promoting the successful passage of Bill C-4, which banned the practices of conversion therapy throughout Canada. That's amazing. Matt, welcome to Queer Storytime. I'm so delighted to have you here as my first guest. Wow, that was a really good introduction. Thank you so much. Well, I have to work on that bio a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we had a little bit of the giggles pre-interview. <laughs> so we're <laughs> we did to it together. <laughs> Just us girls. Just us girls. You're a <laughs> Matt and I are like really good friends, like behind the scenes. So we have a good rapport with one another. So if we seem a little mm -hmm. bit goofy right now, it's because of two or three plus years of friendship. So Matt, let's start out with you sharing a little bit about your journey as a black gay man who has experienced conversion therapy how did you initially become kind of encompassed by this world of conversion therapy let's start there it's a great question first off i dealt with a homophobic family so my dad is very traditional jamaican rastafarian and my dad his entire life or at least my entire life would say homophobic slurs to me and to my brothers and my sister and it resulted into safety a lot of the times i was worried about my safety when i was growing up i remember at 16 my dad tried to get me to sleep with a female escort it's just basically it was a lot of stuff that was preventing me from going to the next step and coming out because as you and i both know where there's laws that forces children to out themselves to their parents it was not safe at all for me to come out especially with the nuclear family so mm -hmm. i hid in the closet i turned to online because i felt online was safer and for the record online is not safer it comes with its own dangers and i found conversion therapy online to try to see if i could rebuild a relationship with my dad in one way shape or form and it never happened wow your story is so emblematic of many of us in the queer and trans community we start out in families that are not affirming and so that really is kind of the root cause so to speak of you seeking out services shall we say to repair quote unquote with what you thought was broken at the time. I wanted to make it abundantly clear to the viewers that it's not a choice if you choose conversion therapy or not. It's not a choice because I didn't informally choose to do some of the practices that we're later going to be talking about in conversion therapy. I don't think anybody chooses conversion therapy as a viable option. I think society pushes us into a certain way and we don't have the space time to explore the way that we're supposed to be exploring absolutely um, so that's yeah i mentioned in the episode zero of queer story time and this is the exact phrase that i used in episode zero it's almost as if we do a form of like self-conversion therapy on ourselves because we are indoctrinated to believe that the feelings that we're having are wrong yeah i mean 
the easiest way to put it is to look at the laws that the United States is pushing people towards conversion therapy. It's pushing people towards conversion therapy and conversion therapy is now going out in the open and is seemingly a viable option to people just because a there's not the education that people are wanting to use or they're wanting to shun education and b they just don't really care for us to exist absolutely scary reality absolutely there i also mentioned this in the initial episode that there's approximately 600 plus anti-queer and trans bills looking to be passed throughout various legislatures across the United States, and it's ever increasing. And as I mentioned, also, that does not count legislative efforts in other countries that are seeking to do this, which makes it super important that has done the work to kind of rally politicians in Canada to actively ban conversion practices throughout the country. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. Matt, Matt is one of the few people actually doing this work on an international level, which is exactly why I wanted to give him the space and time today to talk about his lived experiences. So Matt, you talked about your experience, you know, growing up in your family, dealing with all of that hatred from your family of birth and your family of origin which is difficult for all of us. And you talk about your dad forcing you to see an escort at the age of 15 and getting into 15 or 16. Yeah. 15 or 16. And also discovering the world of conversion therapy. Can you begin to talk about what that looked like to you as you began to officially pursue conversion therapy at that point in your life? So to be fair, I didn't know what it was called, but there's a guy named Bill. He was from South Florida, uh, was promoting this idea along with a guy named Jeremy Schwab. And Jeremy Schwab was a participant of the camp and he was advertising the camp. And so back in 2012, I saw the advertisements of the camp. I didn't pull the trigger, but I would get increasingly depressed because I don't have the relationship with the family that I wanted to have a relationship. And I was told by Bill and by Jeremy and by others that they have the tools to help me rebuild a relationship with my dad. And that is the reason why that I thought it was a viable option. So would you say, giving the current narratives that we hear going around social media and news networks, would you say that you were groomed into conversion therapy wow yes yes i do say that i was groomed into conversion therapy conversion therapy in general is a grooming situation if you look at i'll give you an example there's a guy alan downing alan downing coerces people to strip down to their underwear and crawl underneath blankets and to touch themselves in front of a mirror. And it's all reported and it's all on record. I think these people have a fetish. And I think the fetish has to do with religion and to be in charge and in power over people. And the most powerful thing that we have is our sexuality. It almost like Christians wouldn't know this, but something called a chastity belt which you paid yourself let's just say 
It's like a giant chastity belt. I can't confirm this, but I think if, which we can display it later, but my conversion therapist, for example, got me to write into detail my sexual fantasies before I even had a session. Then why would you want to know that if you're want to be my therapist? There are people that call us groomers, right? And when you're in a grooming situation like I was in when I was in conversion therapy, it doesn't leave a viable option for the 2SLGBTQQIA plus community. It just leaves depression and really dark thoughts. Yeah, and I mentioned the statistic, at least here in the United States, and I honestly think that this is a conservative estimate that 42% of people that go through conversion practices actively attempt suicide or actively consider attempting suicide. So we just need to state that that is what happens as a result of going through these traumatic and abusive practices, looking to change something that does not need to be changed. So the whole thing is just incredibly disingenuous from the start. And, you know, we were talking earlier prior to doing this interview that you mentioned it a moment ago, these conversion practices are almost this homoerotic environment where the so-called conversion practices are making these people go through sexualizing experiences in order to fulfill some fetish that they have, as you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. And I know you said this when you were initially on Queer Story Time, when I first started it back in 2021, you mentioned some of the practices, if you're willing to speak about it, some of the practices that these people are made to do in these conversion camps. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yes. So the camp specifically, it's called Brothers Road. Brothers Road is very dangerous. It was ran by a guy named David Matheson and Rich Weiler. There's Arthur Goldberg, Alan Downing. Alan Downing is, I would say he was a predator. I don't trust him. I don't like him. Bruce Gold, Jeremy Schwab. And there was this one exercise. They would sing this song called Cheyenne and Noel, How Can Anyone? And it's a nursery song. And uh, you can listen to it on your own time. Everybody sings it in unison. How could everybody tell you you're less than beautiful? How can anybody tell you that you're less than whole? How can anybody ever notice that loving you is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul? And so that's being repeated over and over again while you're in the cradle position, which is holding somebody from the side. So you're being held from the side or the motorcycle position where you're in between the legs of another man and you're being held. The guy that was holding me whispered to me, don't mind me if you have a boner. And he also smelled like cat urine at the time. Wow. Probably because of depression. We are dealing with people that are wanting to try to erase us. It's something that I think about often. It really makes me feel weird with touch. It's something I think about a lot. It's scary. And it's happening right now. It is scary. It's just a prime example of how like psychologically damaging this is because when you talk about like that nursery rhyme, that's all of these like 
seemingly like happy things like you know you're a good person you're a beautiful person and like repeating these narratives as you're undergoing this like sexualized experience that is only reinforcing patterns of trauma and i get the feeling that my heart is sinking into my stomach right now knowing that somehow doing these homoerotic rituals are going to heal so to speak someone's queerness or transness i was looking for that carrot because that is what they were promising me was that how do i build a relationship with my dad it's not that complicated it's something that i said repeatedly over and over again i just want to rebuild a relationship with somebody that was supposed to be close to me and it never happened and it never will happen and they have to be honest with that's what they promised me because they did promise me a lie yeah they promised you healing in an area that doesn't need healing in the first place thank you yeah people need to understand that those practices are not happening just within the united states not just within north america including canada even though canada when was it last year that c4 got passed two years uh, ago 20, 2022 so okay. it was january 6 2022 okay when so it passed so over a year and a half ago that that got passed and the thing is that these practices are still actively being practiced here within the united states i know through my relationship with matt that this conversion therapy camp that he's speaking of actually happened in new hope pennsylvania for those of you that don't know anything about me i grew up in pennsylvania new hope is a town outside of philadelphia which is very gay they have gay bars you know it's a very seemingly affirming town outside of philadelphia pennsylvania so i remember matt when you told me that i was absolutely astonished mm -hmm. that that is happening in new hope pennsylvania yeah and it still probably is happening in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I know that the specific camp that you're talking about runs in the United States. They advertise that they're doing one for women, which is just south of Nashville. No surprise. <laughs> Being yeah. in the Bible Belt. And that's the thing that amazes me about your experience is that, you know, Pennsylvania is kind of in the northeastern part of the United States. It's generally speaking a more progressively minded area of the United States and to know that this was happening in New Hope Pennsylvania I'm still shocked by it but this is the result of us not having any laws here within the United States that prevent conversion therapy now there are I believe several states individually that have passed laws banning the practice of conversion therapy but I also know these quote-unquote conversion therapists who really are not therapists they're often life coaches so to speak they are continuing to do conversion practices whether laws get passed against it or not yep so i think 
this is now a perfect time now that we have a little bit of context about your experiences you did go through conversion therapy at this camp in new hope pennsylvania but you experienced additional conversion therapy sessions actually in this case with a licensed mental health therapist living in the state of maryland or, or virginia at the time correct his name is christopher doyle i was introduced to him by a friend he was also on the brothers road website so basically had his information found him and we're chatting back and forth and he was wanting to take me on as a client now before we talk about that was this you meeting christopher doyle was that after you had attended the conversion therapy camp in new hope correct correct okay so i know you told me that this was around 2014 when you started so-called therapy sessions with christopher doyle so 2014 the end of 2014 2015 correct okay and the thing that we were talking about off of this recording as we were preparing for this interview and i want to emphasize here i'm not a psychotherapist i have a master's level of training as a yoga therapist and of course there is some crossover between the professions and so i know that as a therapist and also many of you know that i'm in training to become a naturopathic physician so i know the laws and legalities when it comes to practicing as a healthcare professional including those that are therapists one thing that i find glaringly problematic and also illegal is the fact that christopher did no formal intake with you and by that i mean he did not have you fill out a health history and for those of you that will be watching this on youtube i'm going to share my screen for a moment because i want to show you all of the areas in which therapists are actually required to get information on when they kind of take a new patient on as a therapist so i'm going to share my screen those of you that are listening to this on the podcast you can come watch this youtube video just to get some context for what i'm talking about so this is a website called thriveworks and it's just basically an article looking at like what information is required when doing an intake with a therapy client so obviously name and address phone number you know contact information insurance information birth date getting you know a referral source who referred you to that therapist also doing a medical history including asking about any current medical problems medical hospitalizations is the patient taking any medications also getting the information of the doctor who prescribed that medication going into any mental health history are there any family members that this patient has in regards to mental illness and asking specifically about diagnoses was there any history of substance abuse any history of abuse or trauma are there any current life transitions happening at that time and any specific behavioral mental 
or physical symptoms related to anxiety, depression, and just many other things that we as therapists have to initially ask a patient so that we can take them on as a client or patient. And then beyond doing this initial like health history intake, you are required by law to have them sign an informed consent, which essentially lays out the risks and benefits of said therapy before the patient actually consents to receiving that therapy. So the reason that I outline all of this is because I know that Matt never, ever, ever went through that initial health intake in the kind of formality of him seeking these services from Christopher Doyle. That is highly unethical and highly illegal as someone who is a licensed professional counselor. Matt, what do you have to say about that? Christopher Doyle had said some of the most invasive questions that I've ever experienced in my entire life. Yeah. So the way that you explained it to me, there was no formal health intake as I just laid out. Even before having you sign an informed consent and telling you about the therapeutic process, he sent you a document of questions asking extraordinarily invasive questions about your sexual fantasies, about ways in which you touch yourself sexually, and many other questions that a licensed therapist, licensed by any state within the United States, would not ask their client or patient. Unless he was trying to get off of that information. Unless he was sexualizing the information that was given to him. So Christopher Doyle would do this thing in his sessions. So we would have to break from a scale of one to 10, or 10 being the highest. We had to write out our sexual fantasies and our sexual feelings in full detail to Christopher Doyle. If we didn't do it in full detail, he would be angry with us. And it was really uncomfortable because it was like, there was something in my mind to say, no, don't tell him. But he would get angry at me all the time. So I didn't know how to navigate that. And I was young and didn't have the resources that I did now. One of the things that I'm grateful for is that we at least have the education now, even in the midst of banning books. We have the information now. The information is there. It's available online. This guy is a horrible person. And I'm glad that he was caught. Yes. And on that note, our friend that runs the organization Truth Wins Out, kind of president, CEO, executive director of that organization, Wayne Beeson. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Besson. Besson. Thank you. He recently published an article as literally a couple days ago that I want to share with everybody. Again, if you are one of the podcast listeners, you will have to go to the YouTube channel and see the article that I'm sharing right now. So the 
title of this article, as you all can see, is Truth Wins Out Investigation. Divorce records paint portrait of ex-gay activist Christopher Doyle as a violent man who is likely still gay. Matt, how do you feel about this? It's just messy. That's what I feel. It's very messy. So I'm going to scroll real quick. This picture is a picture of Wayne Besson, who I mentioned a moment ago. He's the executive director of Truth Wins Out. And this article details an absolute abusive history of Christopher Doyle. And at the time, the person that he was married to, which was a cisgender woman, he was in a seemingly straight relationship. However, this article outlines the absolute abuse that he did to his wife, did to his children. Here we can see a little picture of the protective order affidavit that she submitted. And there's also text messages in this article that Wayne was able to get a hold of. I mean, I'm aghast when I try to make sense of this. Matt, do you have any thoughts on that article? What I can confirm is when I was in conversion therapy with Chris Doyle, the youngest person that I saw was 18 years old in his therapy sessions. So what he would do is he would offer this group therapy where everybody was in a group. And if I was honest, it was a waste of time and a waste of money. But I felt like Christopher Doyle had to find new ways to reinvent himself so he can get paid because his therapy was not helping. It was not helping anybody but himself and him getting off on our stories, something that is vulnerable to us. He used us and he used our stories to get what he wanted. And if he didn't get it, what he wanted, he would be angry and violent and be violent to his clients. Yeah. And Christopher Doyle really is such a prime example of what happens in situations where people have internalized, you know, homosexual feelings. And then those feelings are not able to be lived out, you know, in a normal capacity that a gay man would live out his life as a gay man. I mean, this article absolutely portrayed him, you know, to be this angry, violent, repulsive, egotistical, pathological human being that abused everyone in his path. If anybody would like to read the article, the article will be in the description box. So please read that article. It is a very important read, especially for Absolutely. our community. And I also want to note too, because we discussed this last night, is that within the United States, in terms of healthcare licensure, whether you're a therapist, a physician, a nurse, oftentimes, and I know in Maryland, and I think also in Virginia, that Practicing with patients outside of the state in which you are licensed is actually illegal. It's considered to be practicing therapy in this case without a license. So Matt, you can confirm that during the time that you were seeking services from Christopher Doyle, you were in Canada 
Correct. And he was in Maryland or Virginia. He was in Bowie, Maryland. So he was practicing therapy without a license to a Canadian citizen that was in Canada. Yep, he did. How does the state of Maryland or Virginia not know about this? That's the question. I filed a complaint with the Department of Health Professions in the state of Virginia, and the complaint did not come back favorably for me. And I think his business got removed in 2020 as well in the state of Maryland. So it's a little weird to me, everything happening like that all at once. Okay. So there may have been some follow through to get him shut down, essentially. I don't know. All I know, at least for me and my experience with Chris Doyle, he is an angry person and he's verbally violent and he uses his anger and aggression to get what he wants. It's really disgusting. It's so hard to even come up with the words to say to someone who experienced this. It's just an absolute atrocity that you did have to experience this. And I know from being, you know, having a friendship with you that it has caused you a significant amount of harm. Yeah, stuff like this prevents me from sleeping. I still remember I was at one of Christopher Doyle's camps. And I remember there was this guy, he probably was in his mid 40s at the time. He was trying to tackle me while there was another conversion therapist calling him a dummy. And so he kept on calling him a dummy, kept on taunting him, taunting him. He says, I am not a dummy. And then almost like scoops me by my inner thigh and like almost throws me. And I had to stop it because it threw at my back, but I was basically saving a conversion therapist from their own demise. Wow. That was at Christopher Doyle's camp. Christopher Doyle didn't closely monitor that camp because I could have easily went with somebody in the back of the woods. A lot of the guys that go into Christopher Doyle's camp are similar. Most of them are under 25 and they have a look to them. We'll just say they have a look very conservative, like short hair, twinkish type dudes yeah. is what Christopher Doyle usually goes for. It's grooming. There's no other word for it. Yeah. Even, even if someone is of age, you know, 18 years old, they're legally considered an adult often because of the state of mind that these men or women because of their state of mind when they show up at a conversion therapy camp they are often coerced and manipulated into you know staying at these camps and continuing down this journey of conversion therapy yeah a lot of my friends are still in it a lot of my friends still believe in it and I don't even think they believe in it more than they believe in the community that is involved in it. Sometimes conversion therapy is hard to leave because they teach you a lot of what is wrong with the queer community. So they would like yes. reinforce the stereotypes, yes. um, reinforce what people say on social media sites. They really reinforce things and they do it in a pretty hefty way, Absolutely. that reinforcement. For example, if there is somebody on threads that said something that was controversial, 
they would more likely side with them and their following because they know it's controversial and they know that it could get them clout and donors. So, for example, that was big for Chick-fil-A, donating to Exodus International Ministries, 2.5 million. That's just one example. But there's many examples of the same thing. It's just conversion therapy is a well-funded machine, and I presume it's from the church. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit more, because I mentioned it in the preview, talk a little bit more about the movie The Sunday Sessions, which features Christopher Doyle. So yeah, I have some people that I know. I know Nathan. I know some other people that are in the film. I'm going to name them nameless, but I do know some of the people that are in the film. The link will be in the description below just because like the Sunday sessions is a must-see, especially in light of Christopher Doyle's controversy. Christopher Doyle would be angry at his clients and telling them to cut the shit and using tactics, like abusive tactics as a therapeutic setting to like twist things in order for Christopher Doyle to be right or the voice of reason or the be the one when Christopher Doyle really doesn't care about his clients. He cares about the money. Yeah, He doesn't care about the relationship. If he cared about the relationship, he would have cared about the other people that were in relationship with Chris Doyle. Absolutely. His whole underlying assumption, I don't even want to call it a theory because there's no evidence to support it is that queer people or trans people are queer or trans because they had some lack of disconnection with their same-sex parent, which led them to pursue people of the same sex because they didn't have that need fulfilled. So let me say this on record. Sounds like he's getting somebody else's needs fulfilled if somebody's calling him daddy. (sighs) I can't dispute that. So, Matt, now that you've laid out all of these conversion practices and you've named all these people for our listeners to watch out for that are a part of this movement, can you talk about what the transition was like for you out of conversion practices into like acknowledging that this was deeply harmful. What was that transition period like for you out of conversion therapy? Great question. So I was visiting in Texas a little bit and then I came back to Canada. And I remember I was in a small apartment on the east side of town and there was two plugins in the entire building and there was exposed wire and it was not a safe environment for anybody to be in but that was my home that's what i lived in and then i went from place to place had abusive relationship after abusive relationship and it wasn't really fun it wasn't really good for me i remember that i tried to od And it was because of like depression and not feeling good enough and my self-esteem and what people like Doyle and Rich Weiler and people that were leaders of conversion therapy have done to me. I still something I struggle with. Some people say that I'm confident. Some people say that I'm egotistical, but to like know me before, 
And before I had this sad ego, I had to work on that. I had to work on myself. I had to work on myself through therapy. I'm not even fully there yet. I'm learning and I'm exhausted. These people took something of me that I can never get back. And that was my sanity. They took my sanity from me. Sometimes I can't even get to sleep because I hear some of the screams, like the whole tackling situation where he was calling him a dummy and just like being angry and aggressive and wanting to use that toxic masculinity on somebody else to hurt somebody. They do this to our own people. They pin us against each other. Absolutely. And, and our own people betray us for religion. Yeah. There's a lot of cycles of trauma within the queer and trans community because of situations like this. I mentioned this in my initial episode. You know, I'm not diagnosing anybody, but I do have an awareness of this issue. There's something called complex PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress, which I know is something that I myself experience. And that happens when someone is faced with repeated trauma after repeated trauma after repeated trauma after repeated trauma after repeated trauma throughout their life. And this is commonplace in our community because of things like conversion therapy, because of religious dogmatism that primarily comes out of conservative religions, not just Christianity, but others as well. And it stunts our growth and our well-being, you know, as queer and trans people to live and thrive. And what I have to say to that is we're trying, we got to start naming who these people are and what they do because it's happening right in front of our eyes and there's nothing that we can do about it other than to heed the warnings that this is what you're going to send your children, the children that you claim to love, this is what you're sending your children to. Absolutely. Something that's going to traumatize them for life. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So I think this episode provides a perfect portrayal of what happens behind the scenes in conversion therapy. So I'd like to kind of shift the gears to end this episode maybe in a little bit of a lighter note because it's very heavy to talk about these things, but Matt's a really awesome friend and I wanted to provide him with the space to share his lived experiences because I just don't think that people know about this enough. Like we should be batting down the doors of legislatures here within the United States to ban these practices. Because as I've said multiple times, there is no evidence-based research to support the use of these practices. And there are probably over a million people, if not more, that have had to go through these so-called therapies. So, as I said, to shift gears away from the heaviness of this conversation, I like to end queer story time with some super soul questions. So, I know we talked about all the heaviness and trauma, but I want to bring some lightheartedness to this conversation as well because matt i mean his life has evolved and changed and he's doing amazing in many ways 
even though he's actively living with the results of conversion therapy. I know that he's pursuing a bachelor's degree in equity studies at the University of Toronto. And Matt really, truly is such a heart-centered person and wants equity for all of us in the queer and trans community. So he's doing amazing things. He should not have had to experience conversion therapy, but when we say in the queer and trans community that things do get better, they really do get better. And Matt is a living example of that. I feel like <laughs> I'm going to tear up. I'm a crying mother at this point. <laughs> Amazing. Thank um, you. So on the note of me causing myself to tear up. Yes. I'm going to ask Matt these ending super soul questions. So the first one is, at this current moment in time, given all of your life experiences, what do you feel your life purpose is? I feel that at least from the first day experiences, I know the depths and how conversion therapy can get. And I want to be sure that ending conversion therapy and the study of conversion therapy is going to be my life's work. I have already accepted that. I'm a UN representative here in Canada. I've been to the House of Commons. I've set up roundtables. I do a lot of things to make sure that we are protected. And I think I would rather do that for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And there's no one better to do that work. Oh. Second question is, knowing what you know now, what would you have told your younger self about your identity? You know, you don't have to prove your masculinity to somebody that doesn't want anything to do with you. It doesn't want to see your existence. The idea of masculinity is not the toxic masculinity is being comfortable within yourself and just being comfortable with you. And there's no weakness to femininity at all. And as a matter of fact, if you read Handmaid's Tale, the band book, it's all about women's strength and women empowerment and how men have control and women try to fight back and to fight back their rights and to go into a more peaceful place. I think the idea is you don't need to have those people to dictate what your life should be because until you see that you're worth it, nobody else will. Resounding amen to that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Question number three, what is one thing that you wish others understood about the gender and sexually expansive community? That we're not weird. We're human beings. Treat us like human beings. You have a story. I have a story. Let's share stories. Let's share space. Let's really try to dig in and understand what we are talking about, who we are as individuals, what our character flaws are, what our personality is. Human beings are human beings. We're not just content on the internet. We are somebody that has feelings thoughts emotions we're complex but we're also similar we have similar stories than you we have similar family structures 
we're just different and don't knock it until you try it don't knock it until you try it <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about you republicans i bet you tried it Hey. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, we know about all these closet case Republicans. But they're dry. <sighs> yes. The next question, speaking of closet case Republicans, is what would you say to all the lawmakers globally that are creating laws against us? you sure love to see queer people get tortured like in my situation when i was being tortured into conversion therapy and i was told to be in sex addicts anonymous and all this other stuff it was because somebody had control so what oppression kink do you have on the queer community why do you want to continue to oppress is this something that you get off on or something that you feel within yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I don't trust these people for a second. Yeah. I mean, it's such commonplace that homophobia and transphobia arises within people that actually have those feelings within themselves. My conversion therapist. Yes, absolutely. Most conversion therapists, if not all. So next question, what is your number one tip to offer queer or trans youth my tip is to develop your own research projects within the community mm. we need to have the research and we need to have the data and statistics if there's one side that is wanting to burn books and pretend like it doesn't exist you can't burn education so we need more of the 2slgbtqia plus community in education writing reports because those reports save our lives and they go directly to the federal government. Absolutely. We need information out in the world for queer and trans people by queer and trans people. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All of the stuff aside that we just talked about in regards to conversion therapy, what gives you the greatest sense of connection in this world in 2013 i tried to i tried to commit suicide and there was this guy named dr gabor mate he said there's two things that people are looking for in this world everybody wants to know who they are and everybody wants to be in tune with themselves and mm -hmm. so my goal is to be in tune with myself and to have other people to do that so we can all be in tune and to live in a harmonious society. Absolutely. And that's part of my intention for queer story time is that these conversations, building community, actively working towards our own healing is what builds connection in this world. Trauma builds disconnection. So as I mentioned in the initial episode, we have to kind of put these puzzle pieces back together for ourselves. And that's such a perfect response is finding connection with ourselves because that was taken away from many of us. It really was. Last two questions is where is Matt Ashcroft going from here? Well, I'm working on podcasts. I'm working on assignments. Just want to do 
well and to show my community that I care. And I'm working on being the global expert on conversion therapy and having the doctorate behind my name. Absolutely. I'm I'll be so proud of that when that <laughs> thank you. I mean, you're already an expert. You're already an expert in doing the work. But I understand your desire to, you know, seek out formal academic training. That's amazing. So can you let all the listeners of Queer Story Time, can you let them know where they can find you? And maybe you can mention your podcast as well. So I have two Instagrams. One is my personal is madash89. And the second is not your content. Not your content is my brand. I want a perspective from a conversion therapy survivor that has experienced trauma to unpack what happens within our community and to do it in ways that I know how to ask questions. So for 10 years, when I was in conversion therapy, I was fortunate to hear other people's stories. And those stories I still hold near and dear to my heart. Those stories are impactful to me. And there's stories that a lot of people don't get to hear. And I want to amplify people that don't normally get amplified. And it's my way of sharing my platform with people that are in the community, people that I care about. Absolutely. That's amazing. Sharing of stories creates connection and healing. And that's, I think, a mission that both you and I share on this journey of doing our work in the world. Totally. So Matt, I love you, my friend. This has been an awesome interview. And I hope that this provides some much needed understanding and context for those that are not familiar with conversion therapy. And if you do have any questions for Mr. Matt Ashcroft about conversion therapy or perhaps partnering with him on any projects, he is more than willing to collaborate with people to get the messages of love, acceptance, and healing out into the world. So please contact him if you're interested in doing so at mattash89 across social media. So thank you, Matt, for being here. This has been an amazing interview, and I'm so grateful for you being here to tell your story. It is truly an honor. Thank you, Stevie. Hey, friends. I'm so delighted that you've made it this far. I sincerely hope that this episode has opened your heart and provided you with valuable insights into the lived experiences of those in gender and sexually expansive communities. There are several ways in which you can support this podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed if you haven't already done so, and be sure to share it with friends and family. Queer Storytime is a professionally produced podcast, which costs about 80 US dollars per episode. If you feel called to do so, I kindly ask that you support future episodes of this podcast by making a one-time or ongoing contribution that is sustainable to you. Links to contact me or to contribute to this podcast are found within the description of this episode. From the bottom of my queer heart to yours, I'm sincerely grateful for you tuning in to Queer Storytime, the podcast. Hugs and love, y'all. Until next time.